My name is Summer. And my name is Nicole. And we are financial advisors. This is the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. We have worked with many widows during our careers. Although we are not widows, we see the need for solid financial education before and after losing a spouse. We do this by telling stories from widows and our own lives. Welcome to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. Today, Summer and I are on with Anita. We're so excited to have her on. And Anita is a podcaster. She actually was really helpful in giving us some advice on our podcast. <laughs> She's a, a one of the hosts of Widow We Do Now. And so introduce yourself, Anita, and your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are the best. And uh, hopefully you can help me. And when we get done with this call, I'll be like, oh, now I know what to do with all of my my finances. <laughs> You'll show me the way. <laughs> so maybe, maybe pro- probably not. Uh, <laughs> I'll just I'll just go way back. Um, I met my husband about 15 minutes after I graduated from high school. Not really, but like it was pretty soon after high school. And I was not... I was not a big dater in high school. I was not like the most social of butterflies. And so I think people were a little bit surprised when I met this guy and we started dating when I was 18. And we dated for about a year and a half and I got married at the ripe old age of 19. So I could have married a serial killer and I wouldn't have known it because I was just in love, right? And young. (laughs) And young and stupid. But... um, we had a great marriage and we were really happy. So I, re- I really lucked out in that department because I know that's not always how it goes. But uh, my husband's name is Jason. And Jason and I actually grew up about three blocks away from each other. But he was a few years older than I was. So we didn't know each other going through high school or anything like that. And, and Jason and I, even though we grew up geographically really close, um, there were some real differences in how we were brought up. My family was very, very, I don't even know. I don't even think I can say the word frugal because I think maybe just like weird with money might be the better way to say it. Like you did not go into debt for any reason. Like there was only one acceptable reason to go into debt and that was to buy a house and you needed to buy a house that was like the cheapest house. You know, like debt was seen as a very bad, evil thing that would ruin your life. And my parents... Um, They encouraged us to get a job as teenagers, but they were also like, your job is to go to school and to do these things. And so we're going to help pay for things like that. They did not pay for our schooling though. So that was always expected that we would do that. Well, Jason's family, when they turned 16 at their house, they started paying bills in their house. They were responsible to pay their own car insurance. They paid rent to their parents. They paid for part of the groceries. It was like they had a job and they were contributing to the family from a pretty young age. And Jason's feelings on debt were not the same as mine. Like it was like, there are a lot of reasons that are pretty okay to go into debt. And so like education, I was like, no, we cannot take out student loans. And Jason was like, um, people take out student loans all the time. Like it's a really good reason to take out student loans. So we had a little bit of a different upbringing in that, in that regard. But since we got married so young, that was really the only financial kind of backstory. It was like, straight from high school into this marriage, right? So that was kind of an interesting interesting thing to meld these two ideas about money. And unfortunately, Jason never got old enough to deal with like teenagers and to decide if we were going to make them like pay their own way. 
And I'm kind of glad that we don't have to have that discussion, to be honest, because <laughs> that would have been Maybe fun. You would, dis- you would disagree, you think? <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, probably. I mean, he was definitely more like they need to they need to be more contributory and you know take care of themselves and i'm like they're children you know so <laughs> but strangely enough i have a 16 year old daughter now and she like when she was 14 she's like i'm getting a job and i was like are you sure you want to you know and she's like yeah and so she's had a job and she is very responsible my three other kids eh, i don't know if they're going to be the same way so <laughs> back to back to getting married we got married um in gosh, 1999. And we ended up having four kids. When I was dating Jason, he told me he wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. That's what I had in my mind. I was going to live a lawyer's wife's life, which sounds awesome. And then, (laughs) and then about five years into our marriage, Jason got hit by a car while he was riding his bike to work. He had just applied to law school and he had some injuries. He's, this is not when he died guys, spoiler alert. But as he was recovering from that, he had this whole change of heart about what he wanted his career to be. And so he said to me, Anita, I think I want to be a teacher. And my response to that was, no, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Go back and come back to me at a different time. And about, he had to come and have that conversation with me about three times before I was like, okay, Like, if that's really what you want to do, then I'm on board. But if you're just doing that because you can't think of anything better, then please choose something that makes more than four cents an hour. Like, please. But Jason went back to school. He became a teacher and he loved, loved, loved his job. And actually, it was a really good thing for us and our marriage. He was home during the summers. Like, we had a lot of time to spend together as a family. So that was really excellent. And luckily, I don't know if I should say luckily, I... I came from a family where my mom had a college education and my dad did not. And it was always kind of expected that we would get a college education. And and that was a big deal to me. And so I also get really annoyed when culturally people are like, well, you need to have a degree in case your husband dies. You know, I was like, that's the stupidest thing. Like, I need to have a degree because I want to be a whole, you know, educated person. So I had gone to school, we'd gone to school together and we did take out some student loans, guys. And it was a big deal for me. But um, I got my my doctorate in physical therapy. So I had like, when he wanted to be a teacher, I was like, okay, we can do this because I have a marketable skill as well. But my whole like, my whole just vision of what my life was going to be changed when he decided he was going to be a teacher. Yeah, that is a big change in salary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But on the flip side, it's also a big change in how much we saw him, which I would trade that, you know, for for any amount of money, like all the amount of time we were able to spend together. So we ended up having four kids. Um, They are now 16, 13, 9 and 6. And we always joked that we were not a well oiled machine, but we were adequately lubricated. (laughs) Uh, we were never like the family that has the Pinterest house and, you know, we would, we would go out into public and our kids would have two different socks on and their pants would be on backwards, you know, just, and we just didn't care. Like we just had a really happy, fun, lots of adventure, um, life. So that all changed in 2019 when Jason up and died just out of the blue. So you want to hear about that? 
Yeah. Yeah, tell yeah. us. Because it, like, it is oh. a pretty shocking, well, it's kind of a shocking, surprising story. Yeah. So Jason was a swimmer in high school. And then he he took a break from swimming for a little while. But then after a few years, he discovered the master's team, which is like swim team for old people. He's like, I'm going to go back and start swimming again. He'd always been pretty active. We did a lot of mountain biking together. We didn't have our first kid until we'd been married for almost seven years. So we did a lot of stuff, just the two of us. Um, a lot of mountain biking and hiking and just adventuring like that. But he went back to the pool and he got really, really big into swimming. And he would swim four days a week. And then at one point in time, he started doing, uh, they're called marathon swims. So you get in a, in a body of water, a lake, and you swim across the lake, like six, seven, ten miles, just like crazy. I don't know why anybody would do this, but that was his thing that he did for fun. So um, I started swimming at some point in time also, and we would alternate. He would go in the morning and I would go in the evening. And I had to have a surgery on my thyroid. I had like a, a growth on my thyroid. And so I was going to miss my swim time. And he had missed his swim time the day before because he was at the hospital with me. And so he said, I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go to the the pool and, and swim tonight. And I was like, okay, have fun. And I, I kissed him goodbye. I touched my fingers to my lips and then to his lips and he left out the door. And then I cuddled with my kids and got them off to sleep. And then uh, about an hour later, a policeman knocked on my door and I was like, oh, that's silly Jason. He must have fallen and he needs stitches. Like in hindsight, the police don't come to tell you that they need stitches. And what had happened is he had gotten into the pool, started warming up, came to the edge of the pool, said, I feel funny, got out of the pool, walked into the locker room, collapsed and his heart stopped. So just like no idea that was coming and just out of the blue. So just like, what just happened? And again, my life had to get reorganized really, really, really fast from what I thought it was going to be. Because, yeah, very healthy man, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Wasn't absolutely. It, yeah, what exactly caused his heart to stop? So you know? this is this is the thing. I, I have feelings about this. So there are two heart-related issues that can cause you to die. One is what we usually call a heart attack, right? But that's like a plumbing problem of the heart where the, the vessels are blocked and the heart doesn't get blood because the vessel is blocked and then the heart dies and that's a heart attack. There's also something called sudden cardiac death, which some people also call a heart attack. But this is like a marathon runner who, you know, finishes at the finish line and collapses and dies. And it's an electrical issue of the heart. The heart starts sending weird signals in its electrical system and it just starts beating erratically and not in a way that can sustain life. So that's what um, happened to him. We did find out that he had a, a heart defect that we didn't know about that was causing his heart to work a lot harder than a normal heart would have. And that led to this irritability of the electrical system. And ultimately, that's what that's what killed him. So, and the, the hard thing about those electrical issues is the first sign of the electrical system is that you died from it, which is kind of Whoa. a hard, a hard thing to deal with, but yeah. Wow. So tell us what happened after, like, that's <laughs> shocking. How, how do you come back from something like that? How do you readjust? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure you? that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. or, or do you not? <laughs> so it's been about four, four and a, a few months, four years and a few months since Jason died. And I remember the night that they told me he died, 
my sisters came over to my house and most of them, one of them lives far away. So she wasn't there yet, but we laid on my, my living room floor and I just shook the whole night. And I was trying to like wrap my head around trying to financially like take care of my kids. How was I going to provide? I was just trying to reorganize all of those things. And I remember my sister saying like, we're just going to stay here. And I said, well, you're going to have to wash your hair with soap because I can't afford shampoo anymore. (laughs) I was like, I I really said this. I was like, I'm a poor young widow. I can't wash me hair with shampoo. I have to wash me hair with soap. (laughs) So was that, was that just like, was that you really feeling like we don't have money? What are we going to do? Or is that just, I don't know. I mean, like a, I was was joking, but yes, it was a real concern because, you know, you've got to figure out, I, I worked, I've worked part-time my whole married life, which again, kind of turned out to be a blessing in disguise, right? If I'd been the lawyer's wife and we were rich, I would just have stayed home with the children and uh, that wasn't an option. So I still had my toe in the, you know, employment pool and I was gainfully employed, but you know, there was just so many questions. I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. And luckily I was the one who like paid most of the bills, you know? So I knew what we spent on things. I knew what, you know, how much went in and out every month, except for, I almost don't want to admit this to you guys, but I think I have to. We, we always use this system called the budget by hope money method. Have you heard of this? It's not Dave yes. Ramsey. Um, it's, I hope we have enough money. <laughs> That's how we tell yeah, Lots of people budget that way, actually. Yeah, it's not a budget. It's just like, I kind of have an idea and I kind of, you know, and we always had enough. But the problem was, was that instead of like decreasing how much we would spend, if we wanted to go on vacation or something, I would just increase how much I worked. Like I would pick up extra shifts and then we'd cover it that way. So... I don't know if that's good or bad, but, um, but yeah, I'm not great with the financial side of things. I'm not very good at keeping track of stuff like that. So. You know, honestly, I'm not either. I hate budgeting. Oh, We're going to we do a, we do a, a podcast episode about this actually about spending and budgeting and I hate budgeting. I don't do it either. So good. That makes me feel better. Tips and you tricks know, if you don't want to do a budget. I need this episode. Release it today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that it's just like trying to wrap your head around your whole life being different than you had every expectation that was going to be. And in an instant, you know, it wasn't, there's a lot of differences between somebody who has a longer term death and somebody who has a sudden death. I don't think either one is better or worse. I think they're both equally painful. I think it's just like, with a longer term death, there's a little bit of time to consider some of those things, maybe. Although sometimes people don't. Um, but in a sudden death, it's like you're forced to really come to that right then. And the one of the tricky things after Jason died was tracking down all of his 401ks, 403bs, L- Did he work F- a lot of jobs? LMFAOs. Um, no, he hadn't, <laughs> but he was, bless his heart. Anybody who would come into the school district, they'd had like a few, I don't know, 
different vend I don't know what you call them, vendors who would come yeah. in and they would say, Hey, we want to invest your money. And he'd go, okay. And he'd open a, an account with them. So I think he had like seven different investment accounts, all with like $1,200 in them, you know, which, so none of them were really like a ton of money, but it all took a lot of effort to find all of them and get yeah, all the paperwork done for them and to get them transferred over. So I didn't really have a good handle on even what he had. Um, so I had to figure all of that out and had to track down these different vendors. Um, the school district had like a small life insurance policy on him that was like one year salary. So like $33. And then um, I had a small <laughs> life insurance policy that I'd taken out when I first graduated from PT school, which was kind of a funny story because I had not paid the last his last premium because I was like, you know what, why am I still paying for this? It's like a 15 year old policy. But I found that paper and I paid it because I was like, actually, I do want that money. So we had enough money to be able to pay off our house. And that's um, what I did that and then a little bit left over, which was super stressful. And it felt like a dumb thing to be stressed out about. But I know that when we talk to, you know, our guests on our podcast about money, money that comes from life insurance feels so much more consequential than money that you've earned through your job. I mean, it feels, for me, it felt like if I invested the money and I lost the money, or if I made the wrong choice in a financial advisor or financial planner, that I would be like ruining his legacy. Or, you know, it was like he, he had to die for us to get this money. I don't want to mess that up. And it felt so much bigger than if I had just earned the money and put it into a 401k, right? Like that's just like, oh yeah, whatever. I know that's going to lose money. I know it's going to make money. But I was so concerned about that. And I was so stressed out about it. And I kept having to say to myself, like, this is a good problem to have because so many people don't have any life insurance. So stop being so like weird about it. The other thing that's super tricky is navigating social security. So I have four kids and there's a for some people, it's it's like it's like this crazy maze trying to figure out if your kids have benefits, what's the benefit amount going to be? How long do they get to have it? There's also uh, survivor benefits for parents if you have children under the age of 16. I know lots more about it now because I've had time to kind of figure it out. But back then, I had no idea what that was going to contribute to our like living situation. And that's when it was like, okay, like I need to go get a job and I need to do this and I need to figure out this and like all of it until I met with social security was like just guessing. Like I had no idea what I was needing or having. How, how did you even know? How did you even know to look into social security? Like, did you know that people will receive benefits or how did you even figure that out? I think I kind of had an idea that there was something, um, but I Mostly because you know how they send you, they used to, I don't think they do anymore, those like paper statements in the mail. And it would be like, you have 16 work credits. You know, if you were to retire yes. at the age of 72, you will get this much money. And I like had seen those come in over the years. And so I was like, I know it says stuff like death benefit on there. So I think I just kind of had an idea that there was something out there, but 
I mean, I even tried to Google, like, you know, tell me how much I can expect. And it was impossible. There's, you can't figure that out on your own. There's just no way. Yeah. And I even, did you end up calling or going in? Like, how did you figure it out? All of the above. It is quite an involved (laughs) process. I mean, you make a phone call and then they give you an appointment for like eight weeks later. And this has all probably changed with COVID. I know now that they don't always do the in-person interviews, so it might not be the same. But then you have to take in a bunch of information. You have to take in birth certificates and I can't remember what else. But I laughed about that because when I went to the social security office, you have to go through a metal detector. And when Jason died, my youngest was two. I had 12, eight, five, and two were my kids' ages. So they're like, empty your pockets. And I was like pulling out of my pocket, like Hot Wheel cars into the thing, like Legos, (laughs) bouncy balls. (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry. I was not expecting to go through a metal detector. And also I'm a widow and (laughs) I shouldn't be dealing with this. It was just kind of funny. So yeah, that's a whole whole different system. And the and the death benefit from social security that they give you to bury your person is $254, which pays for exactly nothing for a funeral. Yeah. <laughs> I think they haven't yeah. updated that since like 1907. Yeah, it doesn't go up with inflation, so no, I'm like, it's kind of funny to me because I'm like, I don't even know what the purpose of that is. <laughs> you can't even order death certificates with $254. Like, it's just ridiculous. But yeah, so um, once we kind of got that figured out, it was like, okay, this is what we've got. This is how much I'm going to need to work. This is, you know, how we're going to be able to live. And it's been nice because we've been able to kind of live off of you know, my income and social security and that money, that extra money has just kind of lived in the background. And it's just always been kind of nice to know that there's something there if there's an emergency. Like if I need to replace my roof, I'm not going to have to start washing my hair with soap, right? (laughs) I can still shampoo and have a new roof or whatever. So that's kind of how it's been for the last four years. And when, when Jason died and I kind of figured all this out, it's so hard to look to the future. And, you know, my future was planned. We were going to retire. We were going to be that cool couple that like has an RV and goes like mountain biking in our sixties and seventies. Well, no, not anymore. And I told myself that I just needed to get through the time when my youngest was in kindergarten and then I could figure out my finances again. And I'm on that cusp, not in kindergarten first grade, like in school all day. And so I'm there now almost and having to figure out what life is going to look like again and trying to figure out if it's doable, how we've got it, or if we've got to change things. I don't know. So yeah. Sorry. Like if you're going to go back to work full time, right? Cause you work part time. Right. Right. Yeah. But then I'm like, but if I don't have to, then do I want to like, we can just not have nice things. That's fine too. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, because well, childcare is an issue, right? What have you What have you been doing for childcare while you've also been trying to work? That is a patchwork of mystery, and um, it's a lot of like, can you pick him up from school? Because he's in kindergarten, so he's in half day. So I usually only work a half day, um, and that's nice. I can control my own schedule right now where I'm working, so that's that's been really nice. But yeah, I know my friends and family are real sick of me. 
because I'm always like, hey, who wants to take my child or my children? Thanks so much. And they are great. Well, that's a whole other extra layer of responsibility you have now of like managing a, a calendar of oh, who's yeah. going to pick up my kid. Yes. So you mentioned in the beginning, um, the podcast, when Jason died, somebody sent me a blog article, my sister-in-law did, of this other young widow. Jason died, I was 38 when I became a widow. And so somebody sent me this blog article of another young widow, and I got to the bottom of it, and it said that the person who wrote it, her name is Mel Shore. And I was like, wait, she grew up seven houses away from me. And I remember when her husband died, I was like, oh, that's sad you know, and then kind of went on with my, my life, but we got in contact with each other and became really good friends. And about nine months after Jason died, we started a podcast for young widows. Like you said, it's widow we do now. And we've been able to talk to so many widows and interact with so many people who have experienced loss. And one of the things that we do is we go and speak at, or we have been able to speak at an organization called Camp Widow, which is just like, it's a conference for widowed people. It's WidowCon. And when I go out of town, the, you should see the calendar. I mean, it is like the craziest juggling, you know, this person's going to pick this person, you know, this kid up at this time, and then they're going to go to their house and then they're going to go to the next person's house. But I have to do that for four different kids. And it's just, it's just crazy, Um, but totally worth it take some time for you and help other widows. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's where I've just learned so much about other people and, you know, finances for widows. That's a big, that's a big, scary, dark black hole because people have such variable experiences. I feel like my experience is kind of in the middle of the road. Like I didn't get rich off of Jason dying. And also I'm not in terrible, terrible financial condition either. And there are people on both sides of that spectrum as well. So we hope that as we talk through all of those different situations that we can learn so much from each other of like, you know, what do you do when you run into this kind of a situation or how, or just how do you handle the stress of money? Yeah. And it, it, yeah. it is stressful, but whether you have it or you don't, it's stressful. I just ignore it and, and hope it's going to be, it's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> how how did your grief affect like your financial mindset and what you were doing with money? Did that play a part in what yeah. decisions you were making? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think there's a, a level of caution that comes after somebody's died. For me, at least, I know sometimes it goes the very opposite where people are like, YOLO, you know, like just spend all the money because it's, you know, it's going to be gone forever. <laughs> we're all going to die. But I felt this like a lot of pressure, which I think maybe also comes from, you know, my childhood influences around money where it's like, save, 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 save. Like you need to be prepared for the rainy day. And I was like, the rainy day is now. And so I've got to be careful with what I've got because it could get rainier. Um, So I felt definitely a lot of fear was my motivation for a lot of the decisions I made instead of like gratitude or abundance for the situation I was in. But there's also just this time period where you don't really know, you know, we hadn't prepared for this to happen. So I didn't, I was a lot of time of gathering information and trying to just figure out what our situation was. And so that was a whole, that was a whole different period of time before it kind of settled down and the dust settled and I knew what I was dealing with. And it was probably, 
I don't know, six, eight months before I really even had a handle on what, what I had to work with. And just the paperwork alone was, I was like, Jason, why did you open all of these accounts? (laughs) (laughs) That is actually a problem we've heard from other teachers too. So really, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Because you get all those vendors that come in and approach you. Yeah. And he just wanted to be nice. And he was like, sure. Um, I will tell you though, the process that I went through when I was looking for a financial planner, which I told you was really stressful for me. Um, I found two people that I cannot explain this even enough to you guys. It's not something that you have experienced unless you've gone through it. But when you experience a traumatic loss, which is a traumatic loss usually happens anytime somebody dies before they're supposed to, like, it's not as traumatic if it's still hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. But if your 80 year old husband dies, that's a much different situation than if your 40 year old husband dies. And it's almost like having a traumatic brain injury. There are studies about it and your brain is offline. You're not able to focus. You're not able to problem solve your executive functioning out the window, short-term memory gone, um, ability to deal with different inputs and influences is just, is just really impaired for a long time. And I knew this and I, so I approached a couple of trusted friends and I asked them, um, to accompany me to interview a few financial advisors. Why I didn't find you guys, I do not know. That's annoying. (laughs) Um, But it was mostly word of mouth from people. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of financial advisors out there. Yeah, and so I just sat down and talked with them and had them kind of explain their methodology and how they dealt with my particular situation. And then also I learned about the difference between a fiduciary and a not a fiduciary. What is it called if you're not a fiduciary? A not a fiduciary? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you just are one or you are no, basically. one. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't know any of this stuff before because I never had to make any of those decisions. I just was always the person who like worked for a hospital. And so you just click the how much you want to give and they take care of your 401k or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, we interviewed a few of them, which I said was really stressful, but the thing that, that kind of pointed me in one direction over the other was the person had dealt with other young widows in the same situation. And they actually allowed me to talk to those other people. And that's what made me feel good about going with one person versus the other person or the other two people. And it's been, it's been good. Although things are really rocky right now, apparently in the economy. I don't know. Yeah, the markets have been kind of rough lately. <laughs> but when are when are they not? I feel like I don't know because I have <laughs> I'm in healthcare. I don't even understand how the economy works. Like I just know I go to the grocery store and sometimes eggs are a million dollars and sometimes they're like two dollars. I don't know why. I don't understand <laughs> any of that. Well, and I don't understand science. So <laughs> like not Perfect. a science person. I'm a finance person. <laughs> yes. That's why we have our different roles, right? Right. Right. Um, so I want to ask you, what would you define a fiduciary as? Um, somebody who is legally responsible to like make good choices with your money because they're not getting paid necessarily by the person that they're investing. Like they're not getting a kickback from the, I don't even know what you call the different things. You know, like an investment product, like they're not getting commission. Yeah, yeah. Like they, you're paying them out of your investment money. And so they're legally responsible to make like a good decision for you, even though that doesn't mean they're going to make the right decision. 
they can't be like totally telling you one thing because it makes them money and not the best thing for you. Yeah. Was that, was I right? Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a great, <laughs> yeah. great way to find it. <laughs> and also, I guess sometimes I think I, we, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say also there's like a website that tells you different licenses that people have. And I looked at that too, but I don't remember what it said. I just remember looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, there is. You can see, and you can see if they've had any complaints against them on that website. Right. And stuff right. Too. Yeah. 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 It's called broker check. Oh, okay. If people ever want to Google broker check, you can search your financial advisor. So you mentioned that you have a little bit, that little extra money. Uh-huh. From leftover from life insurance. Right. It's kind of like your emergency fund. Correct. Um, where do you, where do you keep that money at? Under where the mattress. Just kidding. Um, honestly, <laughs> I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> so my financial advisor moves it from place to place. Is that what you're asking me? Are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like where, um, well, what is it invested in? Okay, then? Okay, he okay. has it. Have- this is what I know. I know that um, my, the retirement retirement accounts are all, they're in a little bit more aggressive type accounts because I have quite a while before I'm going to retire and need those, those monies. That's so fancy to say monies. Um, the life insurance money, I'm much lower in my risk, um, tolerance because of that fear of it like evaporating and not having it. So I know that it's in much more conservative type investments. What those are called, mm-hmm. I do not know, you know, whether they're annuities or bonds or indexes. Okay, but yeah, but it's not like cash at your bank no, or I, I mean, CD. Are you trying to rob me? Is that what we're, are you no. trying to? <laughs> I know I'm trying to get real into the details of where it's at. No, I do have I do have some cash on hand in the bank for like a couple months worth of expenses. Um, and then the additional is invested in whatever you investment people do. Yeah. So you have like a range of different investments based on the risk. Right. That's great. Yeah. One of I think one thing that we see a lot with women is that they want money to be really safe, so they keep it in cash, yeah, more than they need. Yeah, and uh, so it's great that you're investing it and putting it to work and trying to get a little bit of earnings on it while it yeah. sits there and is your backup. And then a big thing right now is that interest rates are finally going up, and so women can um, need to really take a look at what well, everybody needs to take a look at where's your cash at and mm-hmm. is it earning good interest? And if not, maybe you should consider moving it. There's high yield savings accounts at the time of this recording, um, in April of 2023 that are paying over 4% on just cash savings accounts. So that's so funny so, because I don't even know that 4% is a good amount. Right. Like I wouldn't even be like, oh, yay. I'd be like, oh, is four good. So that's actually good because I do have the money that I do have just in the savings account. I should take a look at that and see what kind of I think it's in a it might be in a CD and it might be in a money market and it might be in both of those things. So I I don't know. But this, this <laughs> what you just said, of like, I don't know, is you have so many other things going on in your life. This is the value of financial advisor to educate you on the different instruments available to you and what you should do, what a good rate is. Yeah, and that's true. Because if, if, if you don't have the time to do it yourself, 
you should find somebody to help you with this. So it sounds like you have a financial advisor who's helping you with it all and taking care of you. So Yeah. And the, it's funny because he, he will call me every once in a while and leave me a voicemail. It's like, hey, we need to look at this or whatever. And then I don't ever call him back. And so he probably is super annoyed with me all the time. I mean, I eventually do, but I'm not very, I'm not very responsive to him. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Finances, it's hard because... I always I hear people talk about this way. Taxes are important and they're urgent because there's a deadline. Mm-hmm. But on your finances, they're important, but they're not urgent because there's no deadline. Right. Yeah. So they easily get kicked under the rug and put off until you find time when you have like you know kids running around the mm-hmm. house and mm-hmm. they have things that you have to take care of. Yeah, we yes. get it. Yeah, that's you just explained my situation right there to a T. I have a couple of questions for you mm-hmm. about, so I think a big part of why you decided to pay off your house was you didn't want to invest and take risk, right? Was there anything else that went into that decision to pay off your house with the life insurance money? Yeah. Tons of, tons of things. Number one, it's just what you're supposed to do. Everybody knows that. Um, I do feel like there's this kind of this expectation that that's what you do with life insurance money. And since that time, I've learned that not everybody does that. And it's not necessarily always in your best interest. But I did talk to the financial planner guy about that as well. And ran numbers about, you know, whether it would be better to invest or... But my feeling was, is that it it feels really nice to not have to worry about a place to live. You know, like if the stock market crashes... And I lose all of the money that I've ever had in my life. I still have a place to live. And that was very comforting. That took away some of the fear that I talked about. Like many of my decisions were fear-based. And and that one might be one of them. But I, it's been really... I do not regret it for one half of one second. It's been really nice. Yeah, everybody's situation is different too. So that decision can vary for lots of people. Yeah. So that's why I like to ask, why did you decide? Because what, what was the input? So that's great. Um, how about working when you were working, did that exclude you from getting social security? Cause you made too much money. Ah, yes. And no. So I was thankful that the person I was talking to kind of walked me through this. If you are getting care t- caregiver benefits for your children, you cannot make very much money. I think it's like $17,000 a year before they start reducing your benefit. But if your kids receive all of the benefit. There's a family maximum. So no matter how much, if you have 52 children, it doesn't matter. There's a family maximum. So you can either, you can divide that however you want between your family. So if my kids just get social security and I don't collect any, we still get the same amount of money and I'm not limited in how much I can earn, but my kids are limited, but so far they're just not making very much money at their you know minimum wage job. And it's not a problem. Yeah. Good. Well, and, and it's nice that they can make some money, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, social security benefit. There's a lot of, there's a lot of feelings about a lot of that kind of thing, maybe dissuading people from, you know, having a job that makes a lot of money. But Yeah, no, it's true. Some people make the decision not to work. So they can yeah. still collect their benefits. Yeah. And so. sometimes it's better. I mean, I don't, I mean, people, like I said, people have feelings about that, but sometimes you're like, well, it is, that makes their life a lot easier and I'm not going to, judge anybody for those decisions that they make, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that social security can be pretty complicated and we have done an episode on social security that will be released soon. So yeah, for people listening to this, 
they can Listen look for that. the other episode if they have questions. I went to a, what, a conference specifically for social security for widows. And the speaker, I don't know if I'll say made the error of asking for questions about 10 minutes in the entire rest of the time people were like what about this situation what about this situation what about this situation every situation was so different and it was like well you have to have been married for this long and you have to have you know your kids have to be this age and what if i was divorced what if i was it was just like holy moses this is a very complicated system and not one that you can really figure out on your own it's crazy yeah, it is. And there's not great stuff on the internet either to search. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, terrible. It's terrible. And speaking of like complicated and really stupid things, taxes are really annoying for widowed people because this is this year I have to file as a single person or head of household, right? So I am going to pay more taxes because my husband died than I would have if Jason were still alive which is kind of like a kick in the teeth. Like, I'm so sorry your husband died. Now you get to pay more taxes. And I'm like, what the? I'm raising four kids on my own and you are going to charge me more for it? And they're like, yes. And if you don't have kids, you go directly to single status. You don't even get like a couple year leeway that they have right now as a surviving spouse. So that's also pretty irritating. Yeah, we do a lot of tax planning for people like, hey, you still can file jointly for that one last year. Uh Uh-huh your last chance to get this benefit. And then you, if you have kids and you have two years of soul, soul or survivor status, and then you're to head of household, if you still have kids again, super complicated. Um, is there anything else that you've encountered as you've talked to other widows on your podcast, like financial situations oh, that are yeah. really crappy for widows? I, uh, it's, sometimes heartbreaking to hear stories, um, of widows who really are put into, difficult financial situations. For instance, a widow who doesn't have any kids doesn't have to take care of the kids and doesn't have those expenses, but also gets basically nothing from, you know, the government to help. They get to maybe claim their husband's social security in 30 years when they're of retirement age. Um, And generally people have the same expenses that they had before their spouse died, but now they have half the income. And so I've seen lots of people who have to sell their house, who have to, you know, go get a second, third job just to be able to match kind of the bare bones of what they were living before. And that's heartbreaking because I'm just like, they don't don't deserve that. Uh, Self-employed people have a lot more difficulty if they didn't pay into the social security system. Um, they, They don't get anything out of that. Um, and then I've seen the flip side of it too, where people, their husbands had a lot of, or spouses or partners had a lot of life insurance, um, or they have a pension of some sort and they're able to live quite comfortably. And the tricky thing about that, and you kind of alluded to this is that sometimes they're not really willing to talk about that because then people kind of dismiss their grief. They're like, well, your life is easier now than it was. And it's like, yeah, but their grief is still like almost everybody would give back the money to have their person back. And that's not an option. So that's, that's really hard too, because they're like, no, I'm still like, so this is terrible, even though I have life insurance money or whatever the situation might be. A lot of times it, 
you know, you had your different roles, like, so this person managed the money or this person did this, or this person understood this part of our self-employed business, but I understood the bills. Uh And when you lose that person, you lose your financial person and your whole life has to change whether there's money or not. Yeah, it's true. And And there's this whole thing about like grief spending (laughs) 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 where, you know, Jason, Jason was kind of my moderator on a lot of those things. And now I don't have that. So I'm just like, oh, if I think I need it, I'm going to buy it. And then I'm like, I should have done that. But he was always the person who was like, well, let's think about that. You know, and I'm like, "Ah." (laughs) I'm just going to buy all of the things. I once bought an entire set of luggage for all of my kids when I was like really sad one day. I'm like, oh, Anita, you shouldn't do that. But (laughs) (laughs) do you find that the grief spending is helpful? No. Or part of the therapy? No. I mean, it's just always regret it afterwards. I mean, I'm still happy about the luggage. We use it, but it's clearly, it's clearly a dopamine seeking activity, right? Like you're feeling really low. You're feeling really sad. What's going to make you feel better to buy something as soon as you've bought it and it gets here, even if it does, you know, even before it gets here, you're like, and the dopamine is gone because I did the thing and now it's going to go away. So, but I also have a lot of things that I've bought and I love. So, I mean, there's that, but it's not. So maybe some grief spending on more like long-term happiness items. Yeah. It's like, have you ever taken your kids on a vacation yes. or anything like that? With Actually, them? that's, that's a good, that's a good topic. I mean, this goes back to what your kind of your family values were before, you know, are you somebody who values experiences or are you somebody who values things? Um, and I really, really want to have a lot of experiences with my kids because in the few days after Jason died, I spent hours just pouring over pictures of our family and of him. And I was so thankful for every family vacation and family activity that we did. There were a few of them that were kind of last minute or probably were not the most financially sound decisions. Like we once uh, on a whim went with some friends to hike to Havasu uh, Falls. Do you know where that is in Arizona? It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But we paid too much money for the plane tickets. It was last minute and it probably cost more than was reasonable. Every single penny, totally worth it because I have those pictures and those memories and those things are the things that stay. So I, I value that a lot right now. And we've actually done quite a few kind of trips with my kids, probably more now than we would have done before. I'm more willing to spend money on those types of things and less worried about, you know, some of the other, other more tangible things that we would have spent our money on before, because that's what they're, that's what my kids are going to remember. It's going to be memories and bonding together and, and being able to experience those things. So we've done a lot of that actually, which is pretty cool because in the beginning I didn't think it was possible. I thought I'll never be able to take these four hoodlums by myself. Like one of them runs away, you know? And so I'm really proud that we have been able to do, have been able to do that successfully. And I haven't lost one of them yet. I mean, for a long period of time. (laughs) So it seems like you're living pretty well. Like you said, you live within your income. Do you still do that where like, if you need to make more money, you'll just work more? Um, no, because it's a lot harder now before, especially in the summer, Jason would be home. So I could just be like, Hey, I'm going to work on Tuesday. And I had a built-in babysitter 
now it's not as easy to just up and pick up hours. So now we most we mostly just try and not spend too much. <laughs> well, we talked about how you know we don't like budgeting, and you're kind of budgeting by hope. But obviously, you're doing some things right. Do you have any like? Here's what works for us. and how we kind of keep within our spending. So I want to tell you this really embarrassing story of when I accidentally bought a car. Um, So our, our cars was having some issues with the transmission and I decided that it was time to buy a new car, which was really, really difficult because I know nothing about cars and Jason would have taken care of all of that. So I have a neighbor who it's kind of a, a car broker and he helped me to buy a car, but it was not the car that I really wanted. It had a few things that were deal breakers for me. So I got this great idea because this was during the pandemic where everything was upside down and weird. And you could buy a new car for like just barely more than a used car. So I went into the car dealership and I put a deposit down on a new version of that same car with the features that I wanted and walked out of there and whatever. Two years later, I get a phone call from the dealership and they say, your car is here. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So that's how I accidentally bought a car Um, and a brand new (laughs) car, which I never would have done ever in a million billion years had Jason been alive. But again, um, it's just, there's a lot of things that are different now. I was talking to my sister about that and (laughs) saying, you know, like our parents would never have bought a new car. And my sister framed it in this way that was like, it just flipped my head all the way around. She said, Anita, they never bought a new car because they, they could not buy a new car. And I was like, what does that mean? Because my dad could fix the car. It was acceptable to have a transmission that wasn't working all of the time. That's not acceptable for me as a person who has no mechanical skills and has four children and is a woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not willing to be stuck on the side of the road with my four kids. I'm going to have a car that works. And just how she said they could have an old beat up car. It, it was an option for them was kind of like, oh, it's not an option for me. And therefore, it's worth spending money on it. And even taking out a loan <gasps> for something like that. So, <laughs> Yeah, so you've changed your debt mindset a little bit. Yeah, it's still hard for me. And- yeah, it's still hard for me. Like, I still am like, oh, we shouldn't do that because, you know, the end of the world is coming and we need to have not no debt. Kind of a <laughs> weird mindset. Yeah, and then are you really focused on getting the debt paid off quickly when you do have it? Uh, or how do you handle that? I just set it up on bill pay and it takes care of it for me. I mean, no, I'm not. I, it's kind of like once the decision is made, usually I feel good about it. I just stress about it before I make the decision. Interesting how our money our money scripts play into our decisions. So. Oh, yeah. I've got or how some, we feel about money. I've got some strong ones working in my, in my brain all the time. <laughs> well, I just want to say how impressed I am at all that you've learned since becoming a widow, especially regarding finances, you just so eloquently explained social security <laughs> and taxes. Oh yeah. Filing as a widow. I'm like, wow, I need to say it more like she does. So it was like so simple and easy to understand. And so I'm impressed with all that you've learned. And I can't believe that you've learned all of that while grieving. That's just yeah. so incredible. That's, so 
kudos to you. I will be taking over your podcast now because I know just as much as you guys. <laughs> just kidding. I don't. I don't know any of it. <laughs> you know a lot. No. And I think people are often surprised at how much they know just by experiencing life. So Yeah. And I have learned a lot because before... Before this, I wouldn't have known any of that information. And I, I count myself lucky, though, because I know many, many widows who didn't know the passwords to, you know, bank accounts or their cell phone plan account, or they didn't know where the money went and they didn't have any finger on, they didn't have a finger on the pulse of that. And that's super, super, super stressful. So I'm going to tell you guys right now, make sure that your spouse, partner, mom, dad, best friend, know the password to your phone. Because so many people come up against not knowing the password to their partner's phone. And you can use face ID or fingerprint for a little while. But after, like if the phone recharges, like the battery runs out, or if it updates, you need the password to get into there if you want to change anything on the phone and they people have like tried to reach out to apple apple will not open a phone without a court order so your somebody should know your password at all times and i know they get changed so i want you guys to do that in the next five minutes okay make sure somebody knows your password to your phone well and there's so much information on the phone right pictures Mm -hmm. and Account information and yeah, yeah, it's a, a huge secondary. I mean, it's become like an extension of our life. Our our phones have become, and it's a huge loss if you can't get into them. I know people who have erased the phone trying to guess the password, you know, and it's just heartbreaking. Pictures and all of oh their, and they have no other. They have no other choice because you know Apple is not going to open it for them, and so they just have to guess and hope and well. Well, I, this is funny you bring that up because I've heard this talked about so many times in interviewing widows and I've realized it just scares me. So I made a note on my phone and I'm just like hoping, you know, when my husband gets into it, if I died or something, he would like find the note that says like where all of our accounts are. And we'll tell him that that it's there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should tell. Yeah, him. I always say random things to him, like, "Remember, we have an account at this place, okay?" And he's like, "What the heck?" <laughs> but it just, it just worries. This me. is the password to our Jimmy John's loyalty <laughs> number. Well, Anita, this has been really great. Is there anything like that you would have done differently to make your financial life easier after becoming a widow? Can you think of anything? You know, I, I don't know if I could change any of these things. Um, but the, the fear that I have around making financial decisions, it makes it a lot harder to make those decisions. And it's something that I probably should, should do some work on, um, just not being fearful of all of those things and the what ifs. But after you've experienced loss, your brain is kind of set up to go to the what ifs, right? Cause you already experienced a big what if, and that's, that's basically, um, I mean, I should not. I should not grief buy things. I'm I'm a lot better at it now because I'm not in the, you know, that acute grief phase. But um, no, I'm pretty happy with most of the decisions I've made. <laughs> Just wish that some of those fear-based, you know, wrestling with decisions would not be my story all the time. Is there anything you want our audience to know about Jason or something that you want to thank him for? (laughs) Oh, man. You know, Jason was right about a lot of things. (laughs) 
And he didn't get to, I didn't get to tell him that when he was alive. I'd just be like, no, I'm right. And now I'm like, no, I think he was actually right about that. So I would, I miss him so much. And I just really would love to talk to him. And I would yell at him a little bit. And I would be like, have a lot of questions about our children and whether he was like that as a child. And I'd want a big hug from him. And then we could just go on about our life and we could be, he could be a teacher again. We could be like super poor. I wouldn't even care. Like just, I'd, I'd go back to that life, but my life is so much different now. I can't even, I say often that I can't even extrapolate, you know, what my life would be like at the same point in time. If he hadn't died, I've moved so far and had so many experiences from where our life path was. So I don't even know what, it would be like to be back on that other path. That didn't answer your question. Yeah, well, you really made, no, it did. You've really made the most of your situation. And that's, that's really beautiful and inspiring because it's such a, you know, big shock, big change. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you guys for trying to help the widows. I've listened to your podcast and I've actually learned a few things. I'm like, Oh, I didn't know that's what a health savings account was. And now I know. So thanks guys. <laughs> oh, good. That's what we're hoping. Little tidbits of education. Uh, if you guys are interested in listening to our podcast all about young widowhood, we also have medium aged and older aged widows too and widowers. It's called Widow We Do Now. You can find it on all the podcast platforms. And we also have a private Facebook group and lots of stuff going on. So come find us if you want uh, more information about that. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want to know more about us and what we do, visit our website, rockhousefinancial.com. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Rockhouse Financial is an SEC registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the opinions of Rockhouse Financial or any other sponsors of the podcast. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.